Thanks to Cryo Malt, local malt for local beers from a local man who had to jumpstart his own Airbus A320 just to get to the Australian Craft Brewers Conference last week. This is Radio Brews News. My name is Pete Mitchum, your host, and joining me on this episode are the editor of Australian Brews News, James Atkinson, and the founder of Australian Brews News, Matt Kierkegaard. James, firstly, thanks for joining me. Big week last week. Mate, how's your liver? Hey, my liver's fine, mate. I uh, dr- drank in moderation. Um, drink less, drink better, I believe, is the uh, industry mantra. Mate, that's a good one to start with. Um, mate, any particular beers that caught your attention? Perhaps, um, I don't know, any beers that perhaps you might want to have while you still can? I suppose probably the ones that caught my attention were just things that I tasted through the judging process and, and later worked out what they were, having sat in on the specialty beer round. What turned out to be the Fixation Squish IPA was was a beer that really impressed everyone at my table and went on to be considered for the trophy um, as a gold medal winner. So that that's just a great beer, really balanced and good seeing those guys get up as a champion medium brewery as well. Uh, and then the night of the awards, I'd, I'd heard a lot of judges talking about how good this porter was. And then trying that Dayton Porter, the, the Cherrywood smoked rye porter on the night, see why it had really stood out from everything else so they were probably a couple of beers i really enjoyed while i was down there worthy winners and look i did set that up by way of a gentle lob i'll i'll draw a diagram this time and make it a little bit easier for you to get my segue um have you had a napstein lager recently well i haven't and maybe not many people have either because i've just heard the news this morning that apparently napstein will be discontinued the brewery will be no longer um, that is apparently news that has gone out via an internal memorandum this morning within the line business, and I've actually already contacted them to see if I can get any get some more information. But yeah, I mean, it's I suppose a, a brand that's been close to a lot of people's hearts um, since the early days of you know the modern craft beer movement, but probably hasn't had the the love that it's needed you know in the line business with all their focus on a lot of other brands to really see it grow. And I know that it was only ever you know it, it's only sort of been a couple hundred thousand litres or something like that. I don't think it's ever grown beyond that point and it wasn't growing. So apparently the head brewer down there left, uh, was well, had announced that they were leaving the company and the, they reviewed the brand and decided that it no longer was worth maintaining production. So that's a bit of breaking news. There you go. And interesting too that the only two craft brands that I can think of that, that Lion has dropped from the, uh, the roster was the Sundowner Lager and now the Napstein Reserve Lager. No love for lagers. Matt? Plenty to get through this week. Last episode, we discussed the definition of craft, and uh, this week it doesn't matter because all craft beers look the same. Yeah, mate, I actually wouldn't mind uh, commiserating a little bit about Napstein before we go into that because it was a beer that, you know, really early on in my beer journey was one that really leapt out at hops and it gave you that beautiful Nelson Sauvin hop character um, that showed you that it wasn't just about American pale ales. So, yeah, I'm uh, really sad to hear that news, but it's one of those things I think there'll be some scorn in the industry that Lion's killing off another great beer. But at the end of the day, if people aren't buying it, they can't keep it going. No, correct. And look, we should point out too that it's not just the big brewers who drop beers from the range if they're underperforming. Um, I'm sure plenty, I just can't think of any right off the top of my head at the moment, but I'm sure there are plenty out there that have done it before. Exactly. But yeah, no, uh, look, welcome back, guys. I really enjoyed reading your coverage of the conference last week. I wish I could have been down there with you. Um, but yeah, no, I thought James's article was really interesting with the graphic designers saying that all beers look the same. And it is increasingly becoming an issue when you walk into any bottle shop these days. There are so many beers on shelves. It's trying to pick one from the other. And uh, that article of James has certainly created a, a, a big splash and a lot of discussion. 
Matt, do you reckon, is it the fact that all beers look the same or is it just that we have too many to choose from? No, well, look, that's a whole other conversation, I think. You know, I, I think design's one of those things that you get fashions coming through. And, uh, you know, Bolter is one that a lot of people are talking about. But you watch, you know, in 18 months, there are going to be a lot of cans that look clean and crisp and very simple, just like Bolter's did. Uh, and even then, um, Bolter's, when I first saw it, it struck me as being fairly distinctive. But it was also a little bit, um, I'm not saying that they copied or even they were aware of it, but the Garage Project had a beer that was just in a plain white can with beer written on it. Prof, remember we uh, were over at Bivana and uh, we saw that and uh, I thought, gee, that's a really striking statement. Um, Bolter has added to that a little bit and made it their own, but I think we're going to see a lot of breweries as the success of that beer comes through, that a lot of designers are going to, in inverted commas, get inspiration from what's working and start doing it. I, I thought he did make a good point that beer cans are works of art um, and, and I think that's very true. Yeah I think a lot of the brewers have taken advantage of the fact that they do have more real estate when you put your beer into a can to showcase a uh, you know whether it's graphic art whether it's you know graffiti style uh, whether it's a bit of a story and that sort of thing. I think the one thing that from my point of view um, and I'm interested to get the thoughts of James and Matt on this one do we lean towards a style? Do we lean towards a particular brand of beer or do we lean towards a brewer, first of all? Because I notice the more space you take up with art, sometimes the harder it is for me to see, okay, who's this beer from? Who, who actually brews this beer? Because to me, that's quite important because it, it, it automatically sets a little bit of a, a parameter in my head. Okay, yep, uh, trustworthy, uh, good value, never had a bad one. Uh, they're out there or they're modest or they're introverted or they're, you know, they're playing it safe or, they, or they're groundbreaking, all those sorts of things. Um, I, I sometimes get confused. I'll, I'll move across. If I can't see straight away which brewery has made this beer, I, I will tend to move on. James? Well, see, I, I probably actually spend, you know, more time than most people would trying to figure that out. And I think that's kind of the point is that just that your average consumer who's trying to make sense of that melange of different busy labels on the shelf, is you've only got a few seconds to uh, grab their attention and then they're, they're off to the next one. And, you know, I mean, Cavalier recently went through a rebranding and I remember um, Heath saying that what made him decided that it was necessary was that he walked into Dan Murphy's and walked up and down the aisles and it took him a long time to find his own beer. So yeah, I think I think that, you know, you only have a very short period of time to grab people's attention. But then again, you also get the situation that you get, you know, driving down at Vegas where your senses are assailed by the amount of neon. Um, and you go looking for something that you know and is safe. So so there's no one way to, to bake this cake. And it depends, you know, as you say, on, on, on what you want to um, achieve and what you want to signal about yourself. I think that I, I'm, I'm with you, Prof. I think having expressions a, across the range, but also consistency within the range. So people, when they see it, they identify it with you is, is one of the key elements of branding. And it's also one of the you know, hardest things to do in any kind of design is to achieve you know, originality and distinctiveness whilst also conveying that reassurance and uh, reminder of the brand. Yeah, for sure. And I think Andrew Teisler from uh, Deschutes Brewery, who spoke at uh, the Australian Craft Brewers Conference last year in Brisbane, made uh, an interesting point about how they kind of reworked their 
overall branding gave it a bit of a refresh because they felt it was important to have the brewery's name front and centre, the next most important thing rather than the artwork that described the beer or whatever it might be or was was the the style of beer because we keep banging on about, you know, we want to bring new people into into the fold and we need to give people a few clues as to what the beer is going to taste like, what colour it might be, uh, whether it's for their level of um, experience and that sort of thing. So, boom, brewery, then boom, what what is the beer? Um, and sometimes I think if you you know you come up with the fancy name or that sort of thing, and, and somebody can't work out what style it is, I think you you lose points there as well. Uh, enough of that. We've got plenty to get through. So uh, unless James, you've got anything else to add to that? No. No. Uh, one brewery that uh, is certainly very big on their branding, and it's unmistakable as to who makes the beer is uh, Brew. But are they making enough of it? James. Well, geez, yeah, we may as well talk about brew because we all need a bit of comedy on a uh, Wednesday morning. Um, uh, I don't even know where to begin um, with this one, to be honest. But, but um, yeah, I mean, regular readers of Brew's News would know that Brew um, had an IPO last year. They raised $10.5 million. And the reason that they went to do that was so that they could begin producing brew beers in China. Now, they've just started production of the beers in China with their contract partner over there. But in the meantime, they've announced a myriad of other plans, which is building this $100 million Ballarat brewery, um, two different brew pubs, one in Sorrento and another one, uh, the name escapes me, somewhere else in Victoria. And obviously they acquired the Mildura brewery. So the the upshot of it is that they've now got $736,000 left in the bank as at June 30, they estimate they'll spend $1.9 million in the current quarter in their outgoings, you know, sort of just paying staff and just typical business running costs. I just don't understand how they're going to pay for any of what they've said that they're going to do without probably going back to the market and raising some more capital very soon. But yeah, it's just, it's just, I just can't make sense of, of what the strategy is and why they're sort of doing so many things instead of just focusing on the one thing that they said they were going to do when they launched. Yeah. Has anyone met Kent Grogan? Sorry, I shouldn't mean anyone. Obviously somebody has, but uh, Matt specifically, James specifically? No, I've met I've met Ken Grossman. I haven't met um, Australia's Ken Grossman. Ken, Ken Grogan. <laughs> Ken Grogan. <laughs> that was a joke. Ah, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> That's right. Insert diagram here. Um, yeah, Matt, have you have you met Kent? Mate, no, I haven't. He certainly sounds like a character, um, but the business strategy seems to be the same uh, business strategy that the 5,000 US servicemen who landed in Brisbane last weekend with pockets full of cash um, and no clue of the layout of the land had. They just wandered around splashing money everywhere. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they were all walking around the streets uh, tipping brew cans down their neck. No, no. No, it was a it was a rather bad uh, overextended analogy to uh, spending like drunken sailors. I get what you mean. They're really going to need their sales in China just to get off to an absolute flyer to have any chance of um, being able to keep covering their their costs because they spend close to two million dollars a quarter just on paying staff and administrative costs and all that. You know, just the cost of production. Um, old Kent, I think I saw when they actually floated in the first place, is on a salary of over three hundred grand. Um, so, 
you know, and they, they turned over seven hundred and twenty six thousand dollars in the last quarter. That was their that was their uh, receipts from customers. So yeah, it just looks like a pretty dire financial situation. And yeah, it's just it's just going to be an interesting one to sit on the sidelines and watch. Yeah, we shall watch this space with interest. I was accused of being too negative about their prospects by one of their advisory firms, but. Yeah, I just can't, I can't, I can't, I can't find a way to be, uh, to be upbeat about it, to be honest. Now, and perhaps if they had fewer advisory firms and, um, and more brewers, because I think that they do have, I think, certainly down here in Melbourne, the only place I see it, I think is first choice, uh, and whether or not that's just because it's prominent. Um, I don't know whether they're ranged through Dan's, and I certainly don't see them at, at Independence. Well, they've just been, yeah, one of the other um, announcements that they made in that double page document was that they got uh, nationwide you know listings through ALM which is the biggest sort of independent liquor wholesaler in the country so they are sort of trying to expand their um, you know their, their distribution in Australia as well but that's something that comes up all the time people are like I've never seen this beer before I mean I've never tried it. I've never seen it in a shop anywhere that I've been yeah I, w- I would think just my gut feel would be that they need to come out with a pale ale or a golden ale or a, a something more in the craft kind of end of the pool. Uh, rather than trying to compete against, you know, VBs or Ted's or two is new. But I think that's their market. You look at their marketing prof and it's their, their logo looks like roadkill jerky. They're, they're not going for the craft beer. They're going for the traditional mainstream drinker. And they've always played to the, the worst Southern Cross elements. You know, we're Australian owned and we're always going to be Australian owned. So rather than give your money to those Asian businesses, you know, spend your money here. And, and you know, that they could make craft beer, but their audience isn't the drinkers who have shown an interest in craft beer. Yeah, you might have missed the boat there. I think maybe they need to start making some um, uh, no-name bourbon and cola in cans. Have you seen the um, artist's impressions of the the brewery facility at Ballarat that they're building? It, it looks like a spaceship. Like it looks like it looks like they're planning to take over Victoria or something. It's just incredible. <laughs> it, it did look a bit odd. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it looks like Disneyland, and it's about as practical as uh, building Disney, Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> he, he certainly thinks big, doesn't he, uh, old Kent? <laughs> Apparently. Well, look, we do, we do wish him well. Um, ring the uh, sponsorship bell. Matt, what's up uh, this Saturday? Where are you heading to? Mate, same place you are, I hope. It's uh, Yes, we've got Charlie in town, fresh from the Craft Beer Industry Awards, where you guys saw it, and you, I saw you both give rave reviews on Twitter and Facebook um, about his presentation, and all of the feedback I've heard is uh, great. But we uh, have Charlie for a Facebook, our very first ever Facebook Live Q&A. So yesterday there was one or two tickets left. Uh, it's going to be a sold out at the venue. But yeah, no, anyone who's listening to this can watch uh, at five o'clock this Saturday night and engage with Charlie by posting uh, questions into the comment section. So no, very, very excited about this being our first Facebook Live interaction. Interesting to see how it goes. Yeah. And look, without um, missing the opportunity to blow just a little bit of sunshine up our own skirts, um, where everybody else, like Charlie has done uh, quite a few speaking engagements while he's been on this extended tour of Australia and New Zealand. I reckon I'm fairly confident in um, predicting that we are the only outlet that he actually approached to do a gig, whereas all the others were approaching him to do their gigs. Absolutely did. Uh, you know, way back in February, he uh, knew he was going to be here in August and uh, contacted us to see if uh, we wanted to catch up. Uh, so, yeah, very, very, very nice. And uh, he even gave us a plug. I wrote the article about Charlie's comments on an American podcast um, on the uh, Brewing Network um, about 
beer shelf life and storage dates. But uh, he even mentioned that he was coming down under and was going to be doing our podcast. So, yeah, it's a bit of humble brag there, but uh, very, very excited. Yeah, and once again, a good opportunity, listeners. Uh, if you can't make it up to Brisbane and get one of those last couple of tickets, get onto Facebook live at five this Saturday. Uh, what's that? August the fifth, something like that. Saturday, August the fifth at five. Yes, at five, and type in your questions for Charlie. All right. Um, one last piece of news that we want to quickly cover off. James, you wrote a, re- a really interesting article uh, based on uh, a presentation and a bit of a chat with Ben Coyman, who's the chairman, uh, chair, sorry, of the uh, Independent Brewers Association, the artist formerly known as CBIA, uh, about their lofty targets. Yeah, they've, they've uh, targeted 15% market share for independent brewers by 2025. And it was actually quite interesting just going back. I thought to myself, I remember the CBIA when it was formed five years ago set a target of what it wanted to achieve within five years. And I just hadn't even thought about it until now. And I went back and saw that um, the CBIA targeted 5% market share, which was, and that was including, you know, all of the big guys' brands because they were members of it at the time. And speaking to Ben, he reckons that that broader craft beer and in inverted commas category, if you want to call it that, um, is actually over 10% now. So they sort of more than doubled that that uh, that category target. But um, 15% by 2025 looks to be pretty ambitious, but I suppose you've got to aim high if you're going to have any chance of, of getting to a, you know, to a threshold like that. Well, particularly given that you've taken out of the equation uh, a number of fairly large brewers, um, and now with the with the new independent logo, you, you are bringing a few into the fold, but um, certainly I wouldn't have thought enough to make up quite that bit of volume. So yeah, a lofty target, but as you say, you know, uh, aim high, see how you go. And the biggest, the biggest, um, you know, hindrance that I can see for them is just that if, because of the way that their membership rules are designed, is just that if, for example, one of the big breweries, uh, not that I'm suggesting for a minute any of them are considering selling, but if, you know, if a stone of wood or a four pines or whoever it was decided to sell to the big guys, then immediately you lose this huge chunk of volume out of your, uh, you know, out of your market share. So, that that that's sort of the biggest challenge that they'll face is just if any big breweries decide to sell up. Yeah, indeed. Onwards and upwards, though. For sure. All right. Um, Matt, did you throw my way um, a bit about the Brewers Association in the US, their latest press release? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's an interesting. And I think this could almost have come under our uh, breaking news um, story this morning because uh, it just seems to have dropped in the last couple of hours. The Brewers Association has launched or has released their latest a statement of results um, showing that craft beer growth for the last 12 months has been five percent and so this ties in quite nicely to to james's um, and the australian brewers what i would regard as a stretch target for their growth but yeah after i think it's the lowest or the slowest growth in craft beer since 2004 was what i was reading um this morning and yeah it, it, it's growth um which is very very positive and can't be denied but it's it's substantial slowing of that growth and i think the most concerning element of that is that uh there was a line in it um, as of june 30 there were 5562 operating breweries in the us an increase of 906 from the same time period the previous year so i mean that's what about 17 percent growth in the number of breweries and additionally there were approximately 2739 breweries in planning which is 50 percent growth in breweries if craft beer is only growing at five percent and yet you have 
you know, a 17% um, growth in the number of people making it. The maths just to my way of thinking are a little bit worrying. Yeah, and look, in broad brushstroke terms, um, economics-wise, it's often said that, you know, when America sneezes, we catch a cold. So do you think there are ramifications for us that, you know, in the next couple of years, we might sort of see the same perhaps amplified? Yeah, well, it's one of those things that whenever you speak to people in the industry or particularly people in Australia who are entering the industry, they always hold up the growth in craft beer in the States as signs for optimism here. Um, and you know, whilst you can look at it at the trends that happen over there, I think because the Americans have, to a large extent, blazed the trail. You know, they've gone out ahead of everybody else, but it makes it easier for everyone to catch up. But then a lot of the trends also occur much quicker. So in the U.S., the growth of craft beer was aided, you know, from price, um, their tax system, their you know wages system, a whole lot of um, their, their licensing, their distribution, all of those things contributed. No one thing led to the growth of craft. But then also the big brewers were well and truly asleep at the wheel um, for the first 20 years um, of, of craft beer and it allowed craft to really establish itself. I don't think that's the case in Australia where the big brewers here had the opportunity to look at what was going on overseas. So whilst they were slow to, to come to market in Australia and execute well, the Australian craft beer scene hasn't had the same you know, launch window that the American one had. And so the big brewers have gone larger or you know, in, in, have invested heavily in craft beer much more quickly. Um, and also our entire structure that the, the structure of our industry is is vastly different so yeah i mean that, that's all a way of saying prof to answer your question no you know I, I think it does ring alarm bells here because i don't think the american market's going to affect ours but i just don't think we have the same market and if they're going off in in the states we're going to sort of see our growth taper um fairly quickly as well and also coming back from uh, the the conference, well, obviously uh, Friday before last, we published Brett J. Stubbs' piece wrapping up the number of new brewery openings in Australia, which was 20 so far in 2017, which on the face of it is a bit of a decline on on um, the rate of openings last year. But coming back from the conference, I just found out about so many new breweries that were opening up that I didn't know. I mean, there's another, t- you know, I've got a list of about 10 that are coming to Brisbane. Um, really, you know, in the in the next six to, six to twelve months, so I'm pretty confident that even though that first half was a bit weaker, according to Brett's numbers, we'll actually probably see that the second half there'll be more than that twenty. And um, there are there's a tremendous number of breweries in planning in this country at the moment. It's I don't know what the whether the ratio would be the same as that, um, you know, fifty percent of current numbers that it is over there, but it's a lot of new breweries coming into the market. Yeah, I mean, and, and I don't want to be chicken little on that, but, you know, I, I know the Brisbane scene pretty well, and there's a lot of very, very, um, you know, dyed-in-the-wool craft beer fans at the moment, but I really don't think that the broader market penetration is anywhere near what people who have a love and a, a blinkered love for craft beer do. You know, you, you speak to publicans who are outside of the craft beer bubble and you know, a lot of it is about contracts and why don't you take on craft beer and what are your thoughts? And I never once hear, well, the big breweries have got me by the scruff of the neck or I can't take away from them, you know, I can't turn away from the money. None of it is that they are mentally locked into it. They still just don't believe in craft beer. And 
you know, small brewers need to ask themselves why that is and what they need to do to get publicans outside of the, you know, existing craft beer market on board and show them that their beer is good quality, it's well-priced, and it's sustainable in terms of whenever it's ordered, it is there. And that, to me, is is the big challenge that a lot of these guys have. And, I, you know, hearing that many uh, breweries launching um, is, is quite a concern. Yeah, we certainly need to just keep... I guess not uh, not apply the handbrake, but maybe just have the have the foot on the pedal. Just into and look, we can't stop more breweries from opening, but I think everyone who does decide to get into the market really needs to make sure that we go back to that old mantra of you know quality has got to come first because when somebody comes over and tastes a craft beer for the first time, they're drinking everyone's craft beer regardless of which one they actually end up choosing. Uh, if that's a bad one we're sending them straight back to Great Northern or to Ted's or whatever it is because, you know, quote, I've never had a bad one. Yeah, and I mean, look, it, it really, like when, when you speak to some of the publicans, um, I mean, it's, it's not even craft beer quality. I think that has lifted, and, and in Brisbane um, more so. Like, I was really pleased to see how well the local brewers, including some of the new openings like Ballistic, did really well um, with their lager. So it's, it's not so much beer quality, it's just the relationships with, older publicans who just aren't convinced themselves of the uh, value of craft beer. Um, and there's so much work that needs to be done to change the mindset in the hoteling industry to really make it viable. Well, Matt, you and I know from our experience at the Ecker that uh, 90% of the battle is getting the beer in their hand. If you can get them to take that chance and they look back at you after they have a sip and sort of go, yeah, actually, that's that's not shit, then that's a win. So is it maybe do either the small breweries or the reps need to just you know turn up with a mixed six-pack um, to one of these older hotels uh, and organise a, a free tasting for the licensee and the and the key staff uh, and talk them through the range and explain why it's at the price point that it is, but why perhaps their their customers might enjoy it more than they do their um, their rusted on loyalty to their other brands. Yeah, I, I think there's a bit of that prof, but I, I mean at the same time, I think a lot of publicans, you know, have offices filled with uh, samples and you know, offers of reps wanting to, to, to stop by them. I, I, I just get the feeling that they don't, they, they don't sense in the marketplace that there is demand for um, all of these beers. And that's where creating demand and getting out there and getting people asking for their beer is very, very important. Um, to some extent, I think the rise of the small bars in Brisbane really forced the hand because the small bars launched and did so well. And then the next tier hotels saw that and decided, well, we need to get on this as well. But that seems to have plateaued out to an extent because as that next tier and the bigger hotel started to put craft beer on, it actually took the wind out of the sails of a lot of the small beer bars. And we've seen a couple of significant closures in Brisbane recently. I think I've talked about that in previous podcasts. And, you know, when you're seeing that the small bars that created the demand not being viable... Where is the incentive for the bigger hotels with bigger overheads and bigger wages bills to take the risk on something that may not sell? Yeah, it's a vexed question and one that we um, we won't get the solution to anytime soon, certainly not in the time we have left in this particular episode of Radio Brews News. Before we head off to Matt's closing cook, um, I'm, coming, I'm going to come up with a new name, Snark, I don't know. It, can we stick with Snark or can I make an executive decision? Because I'd like to call it Matt's Crack. Oh, but it's not. Well, hopefully, it's not always going to be me. Um, and and th- this was just something that wasn't important news, but I just thought uh, I was interested in your your thoughts. And snark is just one of those things because it, it's it's not really news. It's just one of those things that we can discuss separately. Yeah. 
No, we can come to that. But uh, let's um, stick the hand into the mailbag and see what we can pull out this week. Interesting one this week, and we have to uh, get everybody to start emailing you, Prof, um, given that you're the host. But Keith Grice, good friend of ours down at Hunter Beer Co., flicked through an email saying, Hey, Matt, have you thought about splitting the podcast into two separate podcasts? Brews News, the news, and Brews News Conversations uh, with people. Cheers, Keith. Um, which had me scratching my head a little bit, so I'm not sure whether... whether... Keith, where, where have you been? <laughs> what a novel idea. I know. So hopefully he's not going to claim credit for that one. Um, when he when he catches up to the last four editions, but uh, no, thank you, Keith. Uh, yes, we agree with you, and uh, that's exactly what we uh, have done. We plan on implementing that change four weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Try to keep up. Um, and now, listen, <laughs> the other thing too, Matt, and you and I had a little bit of a conversation apropos of what I'm about to say here this week. Um, we don't tend to get a lot of feedback in terms of the um, emails and reviews and and all that kind of thing, but. James and I certainly got heaps of um, people coming up and speaking to us. So maybe we're more the, you know, I'll tell you live, but I'm not going to necessarily sit down and do a uh, an email. Yeah, mate, look, it's one of those things that's always intrigued me about Brews News is that, you know, you look at some of the engagement, even in the Crafty Pint or even the, um, you know, some of the Facebook groups get where they'll post a question, they'll get 300 answers. But it also seems to be very much consumer um, driven, whereas yeah, we we seem to occupy that sort of very important spot of we've got a big consumer audience, but um, we're also very much uh, a little bit more serious industry-based news and discussion. And so yeah, all of my best emails start with "Don't quote me on this." And I know James is a little bit the same, and it, it's a bit the same for you. Whenever you uh, go out and have a beer, people come up and talk about he- having heard you on the podcast. And I've even been in a bar and ordered a beer, and somebody said. I recognise your voice. Are you on a podcast? So people are obviously listening, but uh, it, it seems to be a passive sort of sort of audience that we have, Prof. All right, uh, James. Anything else to add? No, nope, that's it for me. Just a, a nice, uh, quiet few days ahead after the hectic last week in Adelaide. So, well, you, you'll be watching live online uh, at five o'clock Saturday night, James. Oh, I couldn't think of anything I'd rather be doing with beer in hand. Uh, actually, the one thing before you guys sign off is congratulations to both of you. I thought last week's episode was one of the best episodes that we, we've done on Radio Brews News, and that's uh, very much a credit to you two and also to Freya, who cut it all together. You, you sent her all of these wonderful little interviews, and it was stitched together beautifully. So well done, team. Cheers. Yay for us. <laughs> all right. Uh, now, so before we uh, we finish with Matt's parting pot shot, one more little bit of feedback. I'm just going to give a shout out. And I know we don't normally uh, single out beers, but receive some beer in the mail from our good friends at Bolter. Ring the bell. And poured out a, a little bit of, uh, of their limited release. First one to go into cans and the first one to go into the 500 mil can. Uh, I had poured one for myself and I thought, I'm just going to try this on Mrs. Pilsner because she's not a, a big beer drinker to start with, but also certainly not one who who drinks the darker beers. And uh, she's looked at it and she's oh, wow. Oh, that looks, that's that's really dark. That's, wow. That's, oh, I'm not sure about this. So said, yeah, I'll just sip it. And she goes, oh, it's actually a lot smoother than it looks. And I said, yeah, it's kind of like, it looks like, black metal but it tastes like disco and she goes yeah that's exactly what it's like what's it called <laughs> so I, I had to flick that straight off to uh, to scotty and to and to sterling so the black metal disco well done boys uh, as scotty the brewer describes it uh, it's like thrash metal played on a jazz flute <laughs> 
It was a lovely beer. I, yeah, I got some as well. So, uh, and no doubt James did as well. No, it was a lovely beer. All right. And uh, to finish off, listeners, uh, a little treat for you. You may remember a little while ago, he, he had a fair crack at Matt Moran. Um, and uh, the next in his lineup of um, SWATs at Celebrity Chefs, <laughs> Matt. Uh, tell us about um, Shannon Bennett and View Monde. Well, actually, Prof, it's it's not really a pot shot because initially it was one of those things that you'd just cringe at it. The headline was Hip Hop's How Stella Got Its Groove Back. You know, they wedged in just about every beer cliche that they could into the headline. But it was talking about CUB trying to relaunch um, Stella um, and they did some dinner for a select bunch of people. Every course matched to, to Stella Artois, which is a beautifully made... Um, nondescript lager um, and even the, the 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 chef was hard pressed trying to come up with flavor descriptions for it but he, he came up with a menu um, all matching and it looked like there were scallops they didn't really talk too much about it but now I'm sure it was a wonderful meal but it's it, it's a little bit more and, and again not having a go at CUB all power to them for trying to elevate the cause of good beer and you know match it to food but there just does seem to be an element whenever big breweries want to engage people with food it is choose a whatever lager we want to flog choose a celebrity chef come up with a meal and that's all we need to do but the celebrity chef he was talking about uh, the menu that he did and how they'd flown 12 chefs in an oven to sydney to do it and all of this stuff and then he comes out with the cracker quote Beer does play a role in our View de Monde menu, and we even have a sausage roll made specifically for a beer in our Louis bar. And that's the one part about it that, to, to me, speaks. You know, with Matt Moran, it was a guy who pretty much shit-canned beer seven years ago, and now because he's had an epiphany and been given a lot of money to spruik beer, he'll spruik beer, but without any real conviction, without any real insight, and without any real passion. And that quote, to me, just smacked a little bit of that. You know. There are chefs out there that are genuinely, and James has interviewed quite a few um, for Brews News, there are quite a few that have actually have a, a real appreciation for beer and a real understanding for it. Get them involved. You know, drop some of these big-name guys who have nothing really to add to the beer space. So that was the, only, that was the one element of snark. Congratulations on CUB for doing it. It sounds like it was you know, a fantastic thing. Nothing wrong with the beer. But there just does seem to be an element of sameness that shows that they really just don't get it. It's just uh, put up a billboard and that's how we'll sell beer. And it's a shame too because because Shannon Bennett actually did kind of, uh, he was one of the first in Melbourne and I'm going back to I think maybe the second iteration of Good Beer Week, so back in 2013 I think, who I'm pretty sure hosted the first Mega Degger and actually did some magnificent food and beer matching and, and something that's become a bit of a, a flagship sort of event for for good beer week since so he's i think really genuinely into it i kind of feel sorry for him that he's kind of been lumped with oh, well, by the way you know the beer that you got to flog this time and, and match with is stella um, but obviously cub yeah it needs to there's a big marketing campaign down here in melbourne i'm going to assume it's it's national it's sort of reinvigorating stella and going back to its sort of you know traditional roots kind of approach Mate, look, I think it's spot on. And that was why when I first read it, I had the hackles up. But then I realised that as I read the story, it was it was less about what was being done and it was all about the, 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 the journo. And I have to say that it was an executive style piece and James uh, writes a lot of articles for executive style. 
for some reason they didn't flick it to the knowledgeable beer writer. Um, it was somebody who seems to have come from more of a lifestyle without much of an appreciation of beer herself. And so she's thrown every cliche in. So you, you, you lose a lot of the control over the editorial when the writer doesn't really have an understanding for, for what's going on. And there may have been a little bit of that. So it was just, yeah, um, it, it, it's less about snark. It was just more an observation for that one. No worries. Well, thanks very much for another great episode, gentlemen. Now, before we do go, um, Matt, I'm going to throw to you to intro a teaser for this week's series of conversation because it is a two-parter. And who did you speak to? Mate, yeah, this harks back a little bit. Um, I, I spoke to Doug Donnellan from New Zealand Hops uh, back in late March uh, at, at the time of the harvest. And we put it aside for a little while because we also did some Hop Products Australia and we've done Hop Products Australia recently. So we didn't want to overhop it because it's all about balance, prof, as in we with beer, but it was a really good interview. It was an interesting interview with Doug about the New Zealand hop situation, and hops still are very much a, uh, a news item because of the currency of the hop shortage that we keep coming back to. So yeah, it seemed like a, an opportune time to run my uh, chat with Doug Donnellan from New Zealand Hops. And James, as you're finishing up typing away there in the background, your intro to Sean Simons. Um, tell us a little bit about what people can expect when they head over to Beer as a Conversation for the second half. Yeah, well, Pete, you and I uh, caught up with Sean Simmons, who is one of the founders of, of White Lakes Brewing Company in Bowdivis, Western Australia, um, where, he's also, where he's also the the head brewer. Now, prior to starting White Lakes, Sean had um, about a 20-year career um, in, in the line business, starting actually before that at the Hahn Brewing Company in Sydney in 96. And he's a bit of an outlier in the independent um, beer sector, just in the sense that he, you know, he's a real lager enthusiast and lagers are what he's passionate about. And, you know, there's not too many independent breweries that really focus on lagers. And having been to his brewery once um, at the end of last year, he's just making a great lineup of beautiful, of beautiful beers, really, really sessionable, and they seem to have really taken off um, in the venues where that are sort of um, owned by his business partner. They've got a few pubs, so just a, you know, a slightly different business model and a slightly different offer to what a lot of the other independent breweries out there are doing. Yeah, exactly. And Sean Simmons, for those who haven't met him, is an absolutely ripping top bloke, and for those who Doubt that Sean, while we were uh, while he was over for the um, judging of the Craft Beer Awards and then stayed on for the Australian Craft Brewers Conference, bought his wife Suze and his little boy Leo over. Um, he went. He took Leo to the zoo twice. Now that that's that's in fatherhood terms, that's big. He took him the second time because the first time uh, Leo fell asleep and so missed uh, all the all the cool animals. So he actually he <laughs> took him back. So well done, Sean. All right, well, that's all we've got time for this week on Radio Brews News. So don't forget to head over to Beer is a Conversation for those two ripping interviews with two ripping blokes. Um, Matt, thanks very much, and I will see you uh, very soon for Charlie Live. Matt, really looking forward to having a, yeah, really looking forward to having a beer with you this Saturday night. Done. And James, we look forward to catching up with you again next week when hopefully we'll be able to catch up with a couple of the award winners from um, last week's uh, Australian Craft Beer Awards. Yep, absolutely. I'll see you then, guys, and um, enjoy Saturday. We shall. Thanks very much, everyone, for tuning in. Don't forget, uh, you can catch us uh, through iTunes or any of your other uh, reputable podcast sources. Leave us a review. It doesn't cost that much to do it. A little bit of your time. It's all we're asking. And we'll see you all next week. Mm-hmm.